Man, you guys can be seated. Well, thank you, praise team, for leading us well in worship this morning. Uh, before we come to God's word, let's take just a moment to pray and to ask God for his help uh, as we approach his word today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful to be together today, and we are so thankful uh, for the words that we just sang, that Jesus paid it all. Lord, that you didn't just pay part of our price and you leave the rest up to us uh, to make up by our own merit, but that through your life and death and resurrection, Lord Jesus, you paid all of our penalty for sin to reconcile us back to the Father so that we can know Him, so that we can have fellowship with You, so that we can have the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our helper, our teacher. Lord, we don't deserve this salvation that is ours in Christ. But because of the love with which you loved us. You sent your son to live and to die in our place and to be raised again from the dead so that we can be saved. More than just that, Lord, you, you give us your word. You speak to us, which is a great privilege now that we get to come and to sit under that word. And so, Father, I pray that as we read, as I preach, Lord, as we listen to what your word has to say to us this morning, Father, I pray that it would do its work in our hearts. Pray, Lord, for those who are here who are not yet believers in Christ. Lord, that this word would prick their hearts, prick their consciences, help them to see their need for salvation, and that Christ alone is their Savior. For those of us who are here this morning who are struggling hard with sin, Lord, for, for us who are believers this morning who have placed faith in you, who have turned away from our sin, yet, yet sin still clings so closely, Father, I pray that this word this morning would be an encouragement to our souls, that you do not abandon us when we sin, but that you step in our place to plead your blood for us. What a comfort that is to know, Lord. So I pray for the preaching of your word now. I pray that you would bless it. I pray, Father, that we would listen and do all that it says. We pray these things in Christ's name. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's, it's good uh, to be back with you. Uh, it's good to be back in this room. Hopefully, you're a little more comfortable in your seats. Hopefully, you can maybe hear a little bit better uh, than you could in the gym. Uh, but I'm so thankful to see uh, each of you back uh, together today. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you uh, to invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 
uh, as you're turning there, I want to uh, just give you a word of encouragement. Uh, Church family, I am so very thankful for each of you. Um, I'm so very thankful not only for your generosity uh, in this uh, weird year, but for your patience, uh, for your good attitudes in the midst of all of the change and all of the uh, upset schedules and all of those things. And it just is a good reminder of the God that we serve, uh, that he gave us one another, that, that computers can fail, that governments can fail, that doctors can fail, that our health can fail, but our God doesn't fail. And so um, I'm thankful for each one of you. Amen. All right, First John chapter 2. I'm just one verse this morning. Uh, we're going to focus down in. Uh, really tightly to this one verse, and particularly to one uh, doctrine that I see here in this verse. Uh, so if you got there, hopefully you're there at this point, I want to invite you to stand with me uh, out of reverence as I read for us God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. Amen. You may be seated. This is God's word to us this morning. Well, did you guys know that in the Bible, Old and New Testament, in the Bible, There are nearly, right around maybe a little bit more than 200, 200 different names and titles that are used to describe the Lord Jesus, both in the Old and New Testament. These names are really familiar. That may sound like a lot, but when you start to think about it, it actually adds up. So names that are familiar, names such as Emmanuel, God with us, King of Kings, the Bread of of life, the man of sorrows from Isaiah, the prophet, the priest, the king, the Messiah, the root of David, the prince of peace, the second Adam, the son of man, the son of God, the word of life. All of these names, all of these titles are used in different ways to describe not only who Jesus is, but also what Jesus does for us, for those of us who believe in him. One particular name, one particular title that we've looked at as we uh, read through and as we studied together the book of Hebrews in Pastor Richard's last sermon series, and, and, and what he read for us this morning in our call to worship is that title of intercessor. Pastor Richard mentioned this morning, and he preached so well for us from the book of Hebrews, that Jesus, part of his saving work, part of what he is doing for you and for me right now, as we sit in this room, as he is standing between us and the Father, and he is making intercession for us. So he's praying for us when we don't know what to pray. Right? He's, he's communicating God's word to us and revealing to us what God the Father's will is. Jesus said that's what his mission was here on earth, that he came to do all of the Father's will. So right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, personally interceding 
for you and for me. Right? So that intercessor is someone who stands between two people and communicates between them. Jesus is our intercessor. I think that's a, that's a name, that's a title of Jesus that we far too often forget, that we far too often neglect. But there's another name here in this verse that John writes to us that's similar, similar to that name or that title of intercessor, but it's slightly different. And I think it's equally forgotten in the church today. And I think it's equally as important that we as Christians remember and know this title about Jesus. And that is the name of advocate, that Jesus is our advocate. Now, advocacy is very similar to the idea of intercession, but it's slightly different. Dane Ortland, who's an author, he wrote a great book that he re- recently called Gentle and Lowly. He says this, an intercessor stands between two parties, but an advocate doesn't simply stand in between the two parties, but he steps over and joins the one party as he approaches the other. So not only does Jesus stand between us and the Father, but Jesus takes our side. He takes up our case. Like a defendant in a court of law, he steps up in our place as our advocate to plead our case before God the Father. Now, if you guys remember, if you've been with us for a while, it's been a few years since I preached through 1 John I think the last time I preached this text was 2016, right? So let me give you just a really quick reminder of what the Apostle John has set up into this point. Maybe it'll help us to get a little bit of context here. In chapter 1, John lays out some principles about our fellowship with God, right? Our fellowship that, that of, 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 with the holy God. And he says, right, not only that we have fellowship, but he tells us, how we can maintain that fellowship with God. So there are two basic principles he says here. The first one in in chapter 1, he says in verse 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we are to have fellowship with God, he says we must walk in the light as well. Now this creates a problem for us because we are all sinful, sinful people. John says as much. So the second principle that he lays out, right, that to be brought into the light and to walk in the light, a sinful person must, verse 9, confess our sins. And if we do that, verse 9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a comfort and what a consolation. But here's a question. Here's a question. For, for those of you in the room here who are believers, who are Christians, who have turned away from your sins and are trusting in Jesus, are you perfect? Are you sinless? That's exactly right. No, we're not. Not at all. Becoming a Christian doesn't do away with our sin, right? So what do we do when we sin? How can that fellowship with God then be restored? How can we be forgiven yet again 
when we sin and sometimes over and over and over again. Well, that's exactly what John teaches us in this verse this morning. And that's the main idea. So if you look there in your notes, you see uh, what I think is the main idea of this verse, kind of the, the main idea of the sermon this morning is that when believers sin, Jesus is the perfect advocate who is appointed by God the Father to grant us forgiveness and to restore our fellowship with him. I've got three main points, and that last third point you'll see there in your notes is kind of broken down into a couple of sub-points, right? That's what happens when uh, your last point is too long to fit into a reasonable sentence. You just break it into small parts. So point number one, we need Jesus to be our advocate because we still struggle with sin. We need Jesus to be our advocate because we still, even though we believe, even though we trust in Christ, even though some of us have trusted in Christ for decades, we still struggle with sin. As believers in Christ, the Bible does not teach us that our sins are just a thing of the past. That's not what the Gospel does in our hearts immediately. No, as believers, we are made even more aware of our sin. We are made even more aware of our sinful behavior. We feel the weight of our sin even more, or at least we should. We feel the way that our sin grieves the Father. We, we are more aware because Christ has opened our eyes and the Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts to convict us of sin when it creeps up in our lives. Well, here's a truth that might be obvious, but it's important. Christians still sin. Christians still sin. And sometimes, sometimes, Christians sin really bad sins. I hope you know that. Sometimes Christians sin really awful and horrible sins. So what do we do with our sin? What do you do, Christian? When you sin. Well, I'll tell you what we do naturally. What we're naturally inclined to do. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. We're, 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 we're inclined to do two things naturally. The first thing is to hide it. To cover it up. Right? To, to seek, to keep it a secret. Right? So you think about in Genesis chapter 3, what's the first thing Adam and Eve do when their eyes are opened and they realize their sin? They cover their nakedness. Right? They sew fig leaves together and cover their nakedness because they feel shame. They cover it up. And the second thing, when they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, they run and hide. And God calls out for them. He seeks them out to find them. Right? Naturally, what we're inclined to do when we sin is naturally we're inclined to cover it up. But we're also inclined, when our sin is exposed and our cover-up doesn't work, we're inclined to try to justify ourselves. Remember what happens. God calls out to Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve, where are you? And, and they step out. And they reveal themselves. God says, what are you doing hiding in the bushes? And, and Adam says, well, we heard the sound of you walking in the garden. And we ran and we hid because we were naked and we were ashamed. God said, who told you you were naked? Right? What did you do? And what is Adam's first response when he can't cover up his sin anymore? She did it. <laughs> the woman you gave me did it. She made me do it. And so God turns to Eve, and what does Eve do? The serpent made me do it, right? 
they try to justify themselves. They try not only to hide themselves, but to cover up their sin. That's our natural sinful response to our sin. To blame other people, to cover it up. Here's the reality. Every single one of us will fail as a disciple of Christ. And when you fail, remember, you have an advocate before the Father. You don't have to run and hide when you sin. You don't have to try to justify yourself. Christian, you are already justified. You have an advocate. Even in the midst of your sin, listen to me, even in the midst of your really awful, bad sin, you have an advocate before the Father. Jesus stands up and begins to plead your case not based off your merit. You don't have any merit. <laughs> as good as you might be at other times, you don't have any merit. But he pleads your case based on his merit. Based on his blood, not yours. And that brings us to our second point. Why we need Jesus' merit and not our own. We need Jesus' merit. We need Jesus to be our advocate because God is our holy and just judge it's point number two we need jesus to be our advocate because god is our holy and just judge now there is a really popular misconception about god in the church today as a matter of fact i think this is probably one of the biggest things that the church struggles with today and that is that i think the church downgrades god i think that we don't think highly enough of god and let me give you an example of how this plays out Pastor Richard has talked about this in his sermon series in, in 1 Samuel when he talks about so many of us worship the God that we want and not the God who is. I think that gets to the heart of what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example of how this happens. Right? It is a popular idea. It is a popular thing to say that you worship a God that sounds something like this. Well, God is love. God loves everyone. And so... God should forgive my sin because he loves me and because I'm so lovable. Right? So if I sin, if I mess up maybe just a little bit, you know, I can just go to God and I can ask him for his forgiveness and he'll say, you know what? I, I love you. Goofy kid of mine. Right? But here's the problem with that. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God who is. Right? God is indeed love. But his love is not a superficial, silly kind of love that would sweep your sin under the rug. It's a love that goes much deeper than that. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Listen to what God says about himself in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Moses is standing on the side of Mount Sinai getting ready uh, to receive the Ten Commandments again because the first time Israel broke the covenant before he even got off the mountain, right? They, they worshiped the golden calf. And, and Moses is there on Mount Sinai getting ready to receive God's word, receive his law for the second time. And God 
comes to him and he reveals himself. He reveals certain aspects of his character to Moses. And listen to what he says. This is what God says about himself. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, but will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. Too many people in the church today have this idea that God will just overlook that one little sin like a parent who tells their child to go and clean the room and the child goes and just shoves everything in the closet. That's not the way God is. That's not who He is. That's not the way He operates with our sin. The problem with that view of God that He just sweeps our sin under the rug is that if you serve a God like that, you have no need for Jesus. If you serve a God who just sweep your sin under the rug, what do you need Jesus for? Well, any half-brained reader of the Bible will know that the Bible says you absolutely need Jesus. That's just not the God who is. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Yes, Christian, God is loving God is willing to forgive, but he is also a just and a holy judge that cannot allow your sin to go unpunished. Something must happen before God, before God will forgive us. Before God can forgive, something must happen. There must be a payment to satisfy the righteousness and the justice of God. It is against the holiness and righteousness of God. It's against his nature, and it is impossible for him to say, well, you just really messed up this time, but hey, I'll forgive you. You'll do better next time. No. This is where Jesus comes in. He lived a perfect life for you and for me, and he died on the cross in our place as that perfect sacrifice to take the wrath of God that we deserve from our sin. And Jesus rose from the dead, defeating our sin and death. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, advocating for us, pleading His blood for us before the Father. Jesus doesn't just ask God to overlook our sin. He stands there in our place as our advocate. And He says to His Father, I have paid for that in full. It is right and it is just for God to forgive you of your sin because Jesus bore that sin on the cross. And so Jesus stands in your place and says to his Father, in the midst of your sin, forgive, forgive, forgive. There's no forgiveness of sin apart from the Lord Jesus. He is our perfect advocate. And that brings us to our final point today. Jesus is our perfect advocate. Now, there are three reasons. There are three reasons I see in this verse why Jesus is our perfect advocate. 
The first reason there is that he is with God the Father. So I'm looking at that word with. That word with is really, really important. Jesus is not like us. He's not like us when we have to go to the DMV. When you go to the DMV and you and there's crowds of people there. I actually had a friend on Facebook this week talk about their experience at the DMV in Louisville. Do you know in all of Louisville there are only three DMVs open right now? That's insane. My friend went to go get his driver's license renewed yesterday. He had to stand in line for two hours just to get an appointment to come back later that week to stand in line again for another three or four hours just to get his driver's license renewed. Jesus is not like that. He doesn't have to take a number and wait with God. Right? He doesn't have to take a number and wait. He is face to face with the Father all the time. Jesus doesn't have to send an email. He doesn't have to make an appointment. He doesn't have to call the Father's secretary to set something up. Right? God the Father never has to take and clear out space in his busy schedule for the Son. That, that's not what the text says. He says that he is our advocate with the Father. So, so what that means is when you have sinned and when you feel the full weight of your guilt and shame and you just want to run and hide and cover your nakedness, to cover your guilt, Jesus is already there before the Father pleading His blood for you. So when you've sinned, Jesus is there with the Father. When the accuser comes to you and whispers in your ear how unworthy you are to even think that you could call yourself a child of God. When the accuser holds out your sin to your face and says, how could God ever love somebody that's as messed up as you are? Jesus is standing before the Father saying, I've got it. I covered it. I paid it in full. I am worthy. And I paid it in full. John Bunyan, the Puritan, said this truth from this passage. He said that Satan might have the first word, but Christ gets the last. Jesus' advocacy for you silences the accuser in your ear. Silences all the accusations that Satan might throw your way. So that means that you as a Christian trusting in Jesus can move beyond wallowing in your sin like a pig wallows in its filth. And you can move towards maturity and faith and love-driven obedience to the Father. God is not opposed to you. He is not punitive to you in your life. He is not against you. God is a God who loves you with a Father's love. Which is another reason why Jesus is our perfect advocate. Number two there, He is appointed by the Father for the work. Jesus is given this role. He is appointed by the Father to do this. Right? So we've already talked about those who, who view God too lowly, who think that God is you know, just loving and kind of sweeps our sin under the rug. Now there's another misconception about God that I see in the church today. This is a misconception about God that I've struggled with. And that I really see more kind of in 
believers of the Reformed stripe where, where I am. Right? This misconception says about God that his holiness and his righteous and his justice, but he is unwilling to forgive a sinner like me. He might be holy. He certainly is perfect. He certainly is righteous. And I can believe that because the Bible says it. Where I struggle, and where many of you may struggle this morning, is to believe that he's willing to save. That God the Father is willing to save. We see God more as a harsh judge. But we see in this text that this just is not true. In fact, the Father is a willing Savior. He is a willing Savior. He is not a harsh or punitive judge. Notice what John says here. This is where I see this in this text. He says, He is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There's another one of those names, another one of those titles. Did you know Christ is not Jesus' family name? That's not his surname. That's, you know, like my last name's Bateman. I'm a Bateman, right? <clears throat> Jesus Christ. He's not, he's not, you know, it's not his last name. It's a title. And you know what that title means? It means anointed one. Or in today's language, it means appointed one. One who is given a task. A chosen one for a particular purpose. John says he is Jesus Christ, which means that Jesus is the anointed, appointed one for this task. Jesus himself said that he came not to do his own will, but to do whose will? The Father's will. And what is the Father's will that Jesus came to do? To die to save sinners. God the Father sent his Son on this rescue mission. Right? This is all part of the Father's plan. John 3.16. Uh, some of you guys may use the CSB, the newer translation, the Christian Standard Bible. Great translation. If you don't have one or if you've never read it, it's worth using just for this verse, for this one verse alone. Listen to how, and, and it gets it exactly right. It, it, it says, For God loved the world in this way. You want to know how much God loves you? It's not, it's not a love that just sweeps your sin under the rug, that just kind of forgets about it. Here's how much God loves you. God loves you the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And, and not only that, Romans 3, 20, uh, 3 through 26 said that God, in doing this, is both just, he's just in that he deals with our sin on the cross of Jesus. And he's the justifier. He's both just because he satisfies his wrath by pouring it out on his son. And he's the justifier because he's the one who sends Jesus to be our propitiation, to do the work of salvation. Right? The advocate has been appointed by the judge so that you can be forgiven. That's how much God loves you. He is a holy and a righteous and a just and a perfect Father who is willing to save. Who's so willing to save that He would sacrifice His own Son for you. Last thing. Jesus is our perfect advocate because He's righteous. Because He's righteous. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. 
He said, can you imagine a greater comfort and consolation than this? As the result of Jesus Christ and his standing in the presence of God on my behalf, I say this and I say it with trembling and yet I say it with confidence. God would be unjust if he did not forgive my sin. Christ has died for me. It is righteous and just for God to forgive the sins of all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is absolutely perfect. And all of us need that perfect representation. It's what makes Him worthy to stand in our place. Our security of our salvation rests in the perfect Savior Jesus Christ, not in our own merit. We need Him to be our representative. We can't stand before the holiness of God on our own. It's only through a righteous Savior that we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Jesus is our perfect defense attorney in God's courtroom. But here's the wonderful news for you today. Jesus always works pro bono. Doesn't charge you a penny. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, right? that sin is still what you hold on to in worship. You've never repented of it and, and turned to Christ. I, I am so glad that you are here today. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to tell you today that you can be forgiven of your sin. Not just overlooked, but forgiven. Paid in full. You can be reconciled back to God and have an intimate relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice, our perfect advocate. 1 Peter 3.18 says that the righteous died for the unrighteous, and now He lives for the unrighteous. So if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, turn away from your sin today and trust in Him, and He will save you today. He is a willing God who saves. Now, some of you this morning are genuine believers in Christ, but perhaps you're struggling hard with sin that's still clinging tightly. The call for you today is to stop trying to deal with your sin in your own terms. Stop trying to cover it up. Stop hiding it. Stop justifying it to yourself. Stop justifying it to other people. Confess it. Run to your advocate to plead your case before God. What a tremendous comfort to think about Jesus in this way. Because of His love for us, He died for your sins. But His work didn't stop there. Jesus has never lost interest in you. He has never forgotten about you. He has never abandoned you to your situation. He is not finished with you yet. In fact, He'll never be finished advocating for you until we meet Him again in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, as our praise team makes their way back to the front, I want to read some of the words that we're about to sing together in our song of response. You have your paper there that we handed out. If you didn't, maybe you can look on with somebody who's close by. This is a hymn called, or a song, a modern hymn called Before the Throne of God Above. It says this, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me.
My name is graven on his hands and my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Can you sing that this morning? Let's stand together and let's respond to God's word by singing together. Thank you.